Good morning again. Welcome again to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are at the very beginning of a series of sermons through uh, Proverbs. We're going to be focusing on Proverbs 1 through 9 uh, in the immediate future. It would be good for you to, on a regular basis, read uh, Proverbs 1 through 9. It's a series of uh, messages uh, of parents to their son. This morning, we are looking at a message in which wisdom speaks up, wisdom speaking, beginning at verse 20, and that's uh, where we are, Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses 20 through uh, 33. Uh, little theologians, if you could draw something for me that you've drawn for me in the past, I'd like for you to draw a, uh, a game of follow the leader that is taking place in an enormous city at lunchtime. Busy, bustling, crowded city, block after block after block of people. Why don't you draw for me uh, how a follow the leader game might work in that city. Again, our passage is uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, 20. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. It is a gift to us. We ask that by your spirit you would soften our hearts and that you would elevate our hearts, elevate our hearts into communion with you through your holy word by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. God's word says this, A wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come over you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of our Lord. You know, this is largely a sad tale, this portion of Scripture. And I want to try and match the tone of this tale. Here's what I believe the passage is about, and then I want to begin with an illustration that I uh, hope helps us get close to the tone of this passage. Uh, this passage is really talking not about the path of salvation, but uh, in grave uh, d detail, this passage is about 
the path to dread and anxiety. Did you notice that in this passage? More is said about a bad path than a good path. This passage is about the surest path to dread and anxiety being refusal of God's wisdom. That's the surest path to dread and anxiety. It's to refuse God's wisdom. And this passage asks us one thing. Will you listen to that wisdom? In 1982, uh, I was uh, in eighth grade and was living in uh, Colorado Springs. And my dad, who many of you know, my, my stepdad, uh, many of you know he was a pilot in the Air Force. Uh, he was for a long time an instructor in uh, T-38s. But in 1982, there was a horrible accident in Nevada. And we weren't anywhere near the accident, but we uh, all heard the news, and many of you heard the news. Uh, there were four uh, Thunderbird aircraft, so this is the aerial demonstration team of the Air Force, and four of them went down in Nevada. And all the pilots died. And it was, uh, it was particularly horrible in that my father uh, knew some of the pilots. Uh, he flew the same aircraft. And the details uh, of the crash were horrific. Uh, four pilots, uh, four separate aircraft doing a large loop in formation. And as they're pointed to the earth and ready to level off, uh, they don't actually level off all four of them. They just fly right into the ground. And what had happened, uh, discovered much later, was that the lead pilot had a stabilizer problem. One aircraft out of four and it was a lead aircraft. And it wasn't that he forgot to pull up or was misreading his instruments, he couldn't pull up. And the other three, they just followed him into the ground. And you know, I was, uh, it's 1982, I was in eighth grade. Uh, my stepfather, uh, if you knew him, he's not a super emotional guy. Uh, but the news uh, certainly made it around uh, the uh, Air, Air Force Academy where my dad was working, and it certainly made its, uh, made its way around our home. I could tell dad was struck by it. But for me, I just kept thinking of three guys following one right into the ground. They just followed him. And for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not, I'm a person who sleeps real well. I don't, I don't have nightmares uh, at all. I didn't have nightmares about this, but I just remember thinking about that often. Uh, and not just in 1982, but uh, for several times in my year, or in my years, I've thought about three guys following one, complete and utter confidence, and they all perished. And this passage is about the surest path to dread and anxiety in this life. And that surest path is to refuse God's wisdom, uh, to not listen to and follow God. And I know very well, just as you know, that we center a lot of our life on achieving ease, peace, happiness, uh, success, we're very motivated to align our lives in such a way that we can guarantee that there's a certain outcome and it's an outcome of the good life. And not only that, we're motivated to, do our li uh, to live our lives in such a way that it gains us that, but we're also motivated to live our lives in a way that avoids everything that's not that, to avoid dread and insecurity and anxiety. Much of this passage is a lament. 
And it's a lament because wisdom is crying out to a people who refuse to listen. The surest path to dread and anxiety is to, re- is to refuse God's wisdom. Will you listen? Will I listen? I'm breaking the passage apart in four pieces. It's all about wisdom. It's wisdom's voice, then wisdom's lament, then wisdom's release, and then finally wisdom's promise. The first two verses, I believe, are uh, introducing us to wisdom's voice, verses 20 uh, through 21. You see that, that wisdom is there uh, speaking. Wisdom hasn't spoken in this passage before. For the first time, it happens right here. And we're not told exactly who she is. She's She's a feminine. But what we are forced to do when wisdom begins to speak in verse 20 is we're forced to compare the speaking of wisdom to the speaking of dad and mom in verse 8. Verse 8 says, hear my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. And immediately King Solomon in verse 20, uh, as we uh, hear that wisdom is actually speaking, uh, Solomon is connecting us to verse 8. What is wisdom saying? Is wisdom saying something that's different from uh, dad and mom? And as we, as we uh, build up this notion of who exactly this wisdom is, we know that wisdom is speaking in a very similar way to uh, dad and mom. Uh, the instruction and the teaching of dad and mom is actually heard here in the voice of wisdom, uh, but there's a bit of a difference. They're similar, In many ways, saying presumably the very same thing, but there's a difference. This wisdom that's speaking is not speaking contrary to the wisdom of dad and mom, but this wisdom certainly speaking louder. You see there she cries out. This wisdom is speaking with uh, presumably a great deal more authority than the wisdom of dad and mom. It's not just the kind of wisdom that's applied in the house of dad and mom. Uh, Look at the setting. The setting is the markets and the streets and the city gates. It's uh, louder. It's more authoritative. It it, it has broader scope, reaches further. Now, uh, I think that we need to assume from what King Solomon is telling us is that this is where dad and mom got their wisdom. This is where their instruction and teaching came from. They listened to this wisdom. Dad and mom are able to speak authoritatively in the house, but their wisdom is subject to this wisdom. And we can look at verse 7 that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Solomon is cracking open that door that we might begin to understand what it means to fear the Lord. Dad and mom have instruction and teaching because they fear the Lord, and they fear the Lord not by inventing their instruction and teaching, but by listening to wisdom. You see in the passage in verse 29, go ahead and jump down to verse 29. What do you see there? To listen to this wisdom, wisdom that is crying out, to listen to this wisdom according to verse 29 is to, in fact, fear the Lord. To listen to this wisdom is to fear the Lord. And dad and mom are fearing the Lord and they're speaking the words of wisdom, but wisdom herself speaks even louder with more authority and with broader scope. Well, let's look real carefully then what it is that wisdom uh, is doing. You see there, wisdom is crying aloud, raising her voice, crying out three times in two verses, 20 and 21. Wisdom is making noise. What do you think of when you think of a person raising their voice? 
Uh, hopefully, uh, the raising of voices doesn't happen in your home, but uh, when do we normally hear someone uh, crying out, shouting? Think about that for a moment. When? My mind immediately went to sporting events, standing in an audience, shouting for your team. You hear shouting and crying out there. I also think of uh, being at a baseball game. I don't know why I'm fixated on sports, but uh, being at a baseball game and there's someone walking up and down the aisles shouting peanuts, hot dogs, beer. There's some shouting. And my kids like to go hang out at construction sites all the time when they were younger. And uh, I think of construction workers uh, shouting at each other. Someone's lowering uh, a, a steel beam with a crane and someone is on the ground shouting. But there's more, isn't there? What about crying out in need when uh, a child has gone missing? There's a lot of crying out. Help me find this child. It's not just a, a verbal crying out. It's crying out in words, placards placed all over the place, all over the news, amber alerts, a crying out in need for a missing child. It's interesting to hear wisdom crying in this passage. You know, wisdom is not crying out because wisdom has a need, because wisdom has lost something that wisdom needs to be rescued. Wisdom is crying out here because the hearers need something. It's a cry out for uh, some kind of message that those uh, who are uh, hearing the words of wisdom would stop whatever they're doing and listen. Wisdom doesn't have a need, but wisdom can see that we do. And wisdom cries out, cries out in the streets and in the markets, at the entrance of the the city gates. Uh, Dad and mom are teaching a lot more quietly in the home, aren't they? But wisdom cries out in the entire city. And King Solomon, he expects us with these two verses to ask this question, will anyone listen? It's important that you sense that in these two verses. King Solomon expects us to ask and wonder, will anyone listen? She's crying out so loudly. Will they listen? The street, Solomon tells us, is noisy. Will they listen? And they won't listen. And they haven't listened. It may be the street is noisy, it may be the busyness of the marketplace, but they can't listen. There's something about their lives in which they have tuned their ears elsewhere. They're too busy, the markets are full of shoppers, they're doing the shopping, they're going in and out of the city gates with arms loaded with goods. They don't have time to listen to wisdom. And in verses 22 and 23, we uh, find the introduction to a lament. The words of wisdom's cry extend from verse 22 all the way to verse 33. You ready to go back to high school English? Look at the quotations. Verse 22 all the way to verse 23. It's a quote, an extended quote. But I think in these first two verses, 22 and 23, uh, we have this rather depressing summary of the entire, entire message of wisdom. They don't listen, and wisdom asks twice here, how long? How long? Well, I've asked you to think about shouting, and now I want you to think about this expression alone. How long? What do you think is the tone of that expression, how long? 
It took me a while uh, reading this passage over and over again to uh, actually understand what is in the text before us because initially reading that expression how long and reading it twice in these two verses, uh, 22 and 23, I just heard the expression softly in my head. How long? In a sad, low voice. How long will you keep doing this? Why don't you change? What a waste. Don't you see? What a waste. It's like watching someone uh, slowly deplete the goodness of life with alcohol addiction or with indebtedness or with sexual sin or with just profound idleness. They do nothing. And yet we know people like this and we think, what what a waste. If only they would wake up. But what a waste. How long. Perhaps many of us, we hear this expression, how long, uh, deep inside of us. A despondent commentary that we speak even to ourselves about our own lives. What a waste I am. How long am I going to be like this? When will I learn? How long? Can I show you something about this passage? Wisdom asks how long, but she does not pine away with a soft voice like a tender and wispy poem from Emily Dickinson or the smooth melody of Michael Buble. Wisdom is not saying, oh, how long? What has Solomon told us? Wisdom is loud. Let's pay attention to what's before the text. Wisdom yells. Wisdom shrieks. Wisdom tears the canvas of the cosmos in order to be heard. Wisdom shouts. How long? Do you, do you hear that, 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 that authority, that, that resonant cosmic power in the expression, how long? Because wisdom is shouting. And what are we to take from this? Wisdom is not detached from her hearers. Wisdom is not sitting around watching her hearers from afar, waiting for them to fall. Wisdom is engaged. Wisdom is interested. Wisdom has designs upon the lives of those hearers. Wisdom cares, and so wisdom shouts, How long? Well, wisdom, you see, in verse uh, 22, is targeting a certain audience. Wisdom is targeting uh, what we're told are simple ones. You see that in 22. In the Hebrew, uh, this is a reference to the kind of people who are naive, uh, who are gullible. Uh, in the Hebrew setting, they uh, often tend to be young people, but they don't need to be a people of any age at all. Uh, it is a matter of being simpletons, naive and gullible, the kind of people who are dangerous uh, to themselves and dangerous to others, and a lot of times they hardly know it, or at least they act like they don't know it. They're simple-minded. They think they're wise, they live as if they're wise, but they're too simple-minded to know that they're not living wisely at all. You see in verse 22, sometimes they uh, chatter. The word for scoffer is chatting. Sometimes they uh, chatter back and forth. They are scoffers who delight in their scoffing. 
They chatter just to hear themselves chatter. Also in verse 22, sometimes they're blatantly foolish, uh, actually uh, not being merely foolish, but hating uh, any kind of knowledge. Uh, Notice that wisdom actually understands the simpleton better than the simpleton. That's important to notice. Wisdom actually understands how the simpleton works. Sometimes you're scoffing, sometimes you're hating knowledge. But really, verses 22 through 23 are a lament. You see, wisdom doesn't just walk away. Wisdom actually shares the heart of her concern for those whom she's shouting at. She doesn't just walk away, turn them loose. She is going to release them, but she's paying attention to them. And you see what she says in verse 23, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom says if you would but turn, everything would be entirely different. On the one hand, this is very easy, right? It's, it's something that, that you, you can't actually make yourself deserving of wisdom. Wisdom is not saying you need to become wise. Uh, you need to earn my affection. Just pause. Just stop. Look behind you. Just listen. Verse 33, it's just listen. But in many ways, the hardest thing to do in the world, isn't it? Once, once we are locked in to that which we think is going to bring us a happiness and peace and a good life, boy, it is the hardest thing in the world to stop and to consider that we might be wrong. We might be wrong. That's what wisdom says. A promise is going to be made later in verse 33. But here we get a bit of a hint of that. It's still a lamentation because uh, no one seems to uh, take the advice, but wisdom is promising that if you turn, I'll actually come even closer. That reference to pouring out my spirit, that's not a capital S there. It's not about the Holy Spirit. It's a reference to the pouring out of words. I will pour out my words to you more and more and more. If you just pause, listen, you'll learn so much more. I'll come close to you, pouring my words out to you, engaging a relationship with you. It'll be close and intimate and transparent. Wisdom will withhold nothing from you if you just turn. And yet in verses 22 and 23, it's really the introduction of a lament. And by the time we hit verse 24, uh, things become absolutely horrible. Uh, Wisdom uh, actually seems to to let her hands go for a bit and let people uh, alone to their own devices. Uh, uh, Look what happens here. We see that there is a response of the the simpleton. Uh, Verse 24 tells us that no one has heeded. Uh, Wisdom is pleading, shouting. Wisdom is offering to come even closer, and yet, verse 24, no one is heeded. And listen to how confident the response of the simpleton is. Verses 24 through 31, this is wisdom's release. But look what the simpleton has done. They've refused to listen in verse 24. They've not heeded wisdom's outstretched hand in verse 24. Wisdom has extended a hand to help, and they've not heeded that hand. And in fact, they've, they seem to be, uh, be becoming progressively worse. Notice in verse 25 that they've ignored wisdom's counsel. You see that? Ignored wisdom's counsel in verse 25. But it's intensified in verse 30. They would have none of wisdom's counsel. They've ignored, and they'll have none of it. There's a progression. The same thing happens uh, in, uh, in 25 with uh, uh, having a none of wisdom's reproof. Do you see that in verse 25? None of wisdom's reproof. But in verse 30, they actually despise wisdom's reproof. 
We've already looked at 29. They've hated knowledge. And like icing on the cake, they've not chosen to fear the Lord. That's the key. But they've chosen not to fear the Lord. And we see in verse 31 uh, what uh, wisdom is doing. Wisdom allows them to reach their own destinations, as it were, uh, to eat the fruit of their way, to get the fill of their devices. They have done something, not wisdom. They have done something. And Solomon uses this graphic language to describe what wisdom is doing in response to their refusal. You know, if we tell a child to stop playing in, a, in the busy street and they refuse to obey us, what do we do? What do you do? It's a child. You grab the child, you lock the child in the house, lock the child in a gated backyard. If they refuse to stay out of the street, we don't ignore them. We grab them and we put them behind a gate. And as they grow up, we are less and less inclined to lock them in the backyard, aren't we? Isn't this illustration graphic? We're less inclined. And in fact, when it's a fully grown man or woman who persists in not only playing in the street, but skateboarding in the street, what do we do? What do we do? At least on some level, we do nothing. They're simpletons. They must know not what they are doing. They're being ridiculous. And in a sense, we turn them over to their own devices. Isn't that graphic? You know, the Bible says that the worst thing for us is to get exactly what we want. That's actually the worst thing for us. Christianity says this to us over and over again. The Bible tells us that we are fallen, that we are under a curse of punishment, and to get exactly what we want is to get a punishment with a smile on our face, right? We're under a curse. We shouldn't be given exactly what we want. We need to ask what God wants of us. Paul says in Romans 1.28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Doesn't that sound like the worst thing in the world? To be left to your own plan. And you know, we'll say, I don't want to be left to my own sins. I want someone to stop me. That's not what this is about. It's to be left to your own plans at all. To live your life without any regard for God's plan. To live your life without ever acknowledging God. That's the worst thing for you. And we see in verse 26 that wisdom laughs at their calamity and mocks them when terror strikes. I think that should be hard for us to read. It's not uh, vindictive. It is God functioning out of his sovereignty doesn't have emotions like us. He loses his temper and just casts them aside. This is his sovereign will. He's the creator of all things. In verse 26, when we read that he laughs at our calamity and mocks us when terror strikes, it's because we've said to him that we don't want his help. He's offered everything to us in Christ Jesus, and we've said no. Verse 28, wisdom will not answer their call but their call's insincere. They use his name in vain because they want to employ God to achieve their own goals. God is a cog in their own machinery. That's the only reason they call. What we really want is we want a God who is noisy, 
a God who doesn't leave us like this, but a God who shouts at us. We actually should, as Christians, desire that the entire world would hear the wisdom or the loud wisdom of God. And we know that we need help from our brothers and sisters to listen to this loud wisdom of God. Look at the sad results of refusing to listen to wisdom. You see this in verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. The simple, the fool, the scoffer will ultimately lose everything. Do you hear how sad this lament is? Right up to verse 32. We have wisdom's voice and wisdom's lament and then wisdom's release letting us go to our own devices. But look at the end in verse 33. Wisdom's promise. Wisdom's promise. For those who listen to wisdom, not only will wisdom pour out speech and enter into a closer relationship, verse 23, but verse 33 says that this will happen. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I want to conclude here with wisdom's promise, noting that the tone of this passage is really, really difficult. But can you hear in the latter part of verse 33 the call of the gospel? Can you hear the offer of salvation, wisdom inviting you into a closer relationship? A relationship with wisdom in which wisdom has not only taken the initiative. Wisdom shouted in the streets. You didn't. Wisdom shouted for you. Takes the initiative. But wisdom also will nourish that relationship. Pour out word upon word. Speak to you. Can you hear the call of the gospel? Wisdom promises that you will dwell secure. Our passage began in a house, didn't it? A father and a mother providing instruction to their son. But God says, with wisdom you will dwell secure. The cacophony of the marketplace, the noisiness of the street, it's all gone away. You'll dwell secure with me. This home will be safe. It will never be breached. The word for ease in verse 33 is the word for quiet. I was known in my neighborhood in Anchorage when my kids were younger. I was known to be the man who liked a quiet house. Kids from all over the neighborhood would come and play, and everyone knew that Mr. Jones likes a quiet house. But wouldn't we all like a quiet heart? A heart filled with contentedness. A heart in which all of the anxiety is not only held at bay, but actually dissolved by an alien power. A quiet heart. But with wisdom you will have that. No anxiety. And do you notice how Solomon phrases this other, this other promise? Without dread of disaster... Do you see that? It's oftentimes not the disaster itself. It's the dread of the disaster. It's going to bed assuming that the worst will happen tomorrow. It's the fear of what may happen. And literally it is trembling about that future disaster. But with wisdom, there's no trembling. Disaster can come. Disaster cannot come. I will always be filled with peace. There will be no trembling. 
So much of this passage is a lament about refusing to listen to God's wisdom. The surest path to dread and anxiety is actually to refuse God's wisdom. You and I need to hear that. And we need to hear that so that we'll hear this question well. Will you listen to him? Will you listen to him? Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, will we listen to you? Would you forgive us for fooling ourselves into thinking that we can uh, plan a good life? We can't. We can't do it. And we need this reminder. And Father, if there are those who are here who are planning that good life and believe they've no need for Jesus at all, Father, would you turn their hearts and show them that the surest path to dread and anxiety is doing exactly what they're doing, refusing your wisdom. Oh, Father, help us to listen to you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.